Hello and welcome back to the When Coaching Goes Wrong podcast with me, Craig Wilson, the contact coach. In this episode, I'm joined by Rama Chand, who's currently the Director of Rugby Development with the Georgian Rugby Union. And what I like about Rama, he's well-traveled, but he's also had roles within rugby across the whole spectrum from community through to professional. He's worked with the Australian Rugby Union, the Queensland Rugby Union, and that's led him all the way now to Georgia, which is just great to hear about. Rama shares some wonderful experience, plenty of nuggets to take away, and he is one of the perfect guests for this show because he just shares so much. So settle in and enjoy this episode with Rama Chand. Hey Rama, thanks for joining me, mate. I hope all is well. Just uh, let me know where you are, what you're up to. Thanks, Craig. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, just yeah, seated at uh, in Tbilisi right now, in, in our home in a in a nice suburb called Vake uh, in Georgia. Uh, the kids are in um, in bed for now, mate. So uh, everything's everything's rosy for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting the kids in. That's one of the the main ones. The coaching comes easy, right? So hey, look, yeah. you're obviously in Georgia, Tbilisi. Anyone in the rugby world knows knows about Georgia and their how up and come well we feel like we've been talking about up and coming for a long while like when are they going to get that when are they going to get that support where they're really going to be dining at the top table which we all know they can do so just yeah tell yeah. us a little bit more about how how you got yourself into into Tbilisi yeah um yeah mate so it's um yeah I, I was a bit like yourself like probably knew about the union and the country just obviously from rugby and following rugby and coaching and playing and stuff. But, um, yeah, I didn't really realize how close I guess they were until, um, it was, I guess, propositioned to me, um, by a recruiter, you know, for the, for the role to come over across, um, they, they're clearly, well, they, they are still a clearly a union who wants to try to get to the top of the tree, um, which is, which is fantastic. Um, and they're pretty targeted around a couple of key positions that they feel is going to make them sort of make that shift. Um, so yeah, when, when, I guess when the recruiter and, um, you know, World Rugby and that discussed, discussed it and I went through the whole process, um, that's what I liked about it was, was the ambition to move from sort of that tier two into tier one, um, and to sort of separate themselves from, um, from that, from that sort of next group. Um, and, and, you know, there's obviously some key things that the union's working on hard and, and, and some people might've seen some key markers that. We've been hitting, which is which is pretty good, but still a long way to way to go. And I think that showed at the World Cup. You know, we probably um probably underperformed uh, big time uh, compared to where we we sort of wanted to go. Uh, but I, but I think twenty seven and thirty one uh, are still still on track, mate. So twenty twenty seven World Cup, twenty thirty one World Cup. I think you'll see some really good things coming from Georgia. Excellent, uh, it's really exciting. So what's your what's your day to day role there? Yeah, so I I sort of come into um, a role that's essentially managing um, the the, the talent pathway. Um, so basically all of the, all of the so-called pathways that feed into our, our national team and our franchise team. So we've got a, a franchise team that's doing re- really well uh, called the Black Lion. Um, this is the first year they've been sort of allowed to enter into a European club competition. Um, so e- EPCR for some of the listeners that might know, and they had a good week, good win on the weekend against um, Scarlets and yeah, Wales. The Scarlets, right? Yeah. 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 Really big. Great news. And, and, and to be honest, and even last week at home at Gloucester, we probably probably um, let that game slip. We lost we lost that one, but that was a game that we probably should have won. But anyway, the, the Black Line, a very successful um, franchise that's been created a couple of years ago. Um, the whole idea is to try and retain talent in in, in Georgia because obviously a lot of our players, best players, go to France. By having a franchise locally, uh, hopefully you can keep some of them. You can make the staff work with them for longer, and then about 60 percent transition into our national team. You know, so. The idea is is that I sort of feed the programs that uh, support support that. So you know, your under 18s, your twenties, your sevens. Um, you know, even even younger than that, academies um, that do that. I also have quite a wide remit, so I also sort of do the traditional game development side of things here for Georgia as well. So a lot of that involves you know things like coach education and overseeing that. Um, you know, the referees now are now now in, in the remit. Um, all, all of the strands essentially, you know, your SNC, so your workforce. Uh, and then you also have um, our clubs and competitions. So basically, how do we uh, improve our clubs and competitions so that there's consistent depth that that are sort of supplying the talent pathway? Um, and uh, and yeah, ba- basically trying to improve all of that. And you can imagine 
um, for a lot of tier twos, I guess that's a big missing link for a lot mm-hmm. of them, is, is what I just said. And tier ones have had that. And obviously coming from Aussie, you take it for granted that you have all of those structures and you have all the depth. You might not have the best talent necessarily, but you have mm-hmm. those things pretty pretty laid out. So I think for tier twos, this is where some of them, I think some of the smarter ones are targeting, you know, these types of roles to to try and look forward. Um, really? Because you're all you're all in it together, right? Like yeah. you're refereeing, yeah. you can referee better games. The games, the yeah. players are getting exposed to to what the referees are looking at. You've got the under 18s coming through to the 20s. Like, it all just, and then the coaches on top of that. Just because if you get the coaching right, it it can have a a significant trickle down effect. It's no, it sounds yeah. great that everything's kind of been aligned there. Um, so how yeah. did you? What what is your coaching journey? How did you get to? To this yeah. point now, um, yeah. Where did where did that all start? Yeah, it's, it was interesting, mate. I, I I was thinking about that. Like, I guess my first touches of coaching were probably when I was a player. You know, like I didn't realize it at the time, but I was probably doing a lot of um, coaching myself. Um, just maybe because of my position and 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 leadership qualities, I guess that coaches identified. Um, so I remember when I was in Dubai. I was doing a lot of assistant coaching with with some of the coaches, essentially uh, running a lot of sessions as well at times, as well for um, for our teams. Um, and then from there, probably got more involved with coaching uh, in in Amsterdam, where I was playing over there. And that was sort of like a arrangement where you come across, you play rugby, and then you do a little bit of coaching as well. So I did a little bit of coaching there. But formally, I guess from a from a actual start. It all, it all started uh, about eight nine years ago nine years ago in, in Australia when I when I moved to moved to Aussie um, and and in Queensland um, so I sort of sort of got into it there and originally the role was player coach role at a club and then from that obviously just moved away from the playing just to just into coaching uh, from there mate yeah and how did you find I, I've done player coaching myself how did you yeah. how did you find that yeah I think a lot of guys you know who've um, who've had their hand in both parts. I guess the player coach comes about. It's definitely not for everyone. Um, and I'm, I, I don't think I did a, the best job at it as well. Like I'm sure a lot of player coaches think. I, I struggle. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I've noticed that a lot of coaches I've talked to who've done that have always said the same thing. But I guess it's a, it's a um, double-edged sword because the club or the organisation might see something in you that is leadership quality, but you know, they push you into a coach role. So you share resources, you can add value as a player, add value as a coach. So they get it sort of double, double for one, but you probably never really do one or the other at the best. Yeah. That's exactly (laughs) what I found. Like it was, it was, it was always interesting. I was, I was a player head coach and um, I I found out I wasn't even playing like as best as I could. So now how how do you pick yourself? (laughs) You know what I mean? Someone who's like, who's up and coming and you're like, well, no, I should be playing. It's such a hard distinction. However, however hard it was, the grounding as a foundation to build from was invaluable. Like, so the experience sucked a bit, but the, um, just the ability to kind of have the opportunity to start coaching in an environment where, you had to have, you had to justify it, right? You had to, you yep. had to have reasons why you were doing it. It was invaluable, but yeah, it's a bloody tough role that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think Craig on that, like, is obviously there's very rare at a professional level, you get player coaches because there's resources. So you don't necessarily need that. There mm-hmm. might be leaders, leaders, obviously of certain areas of the game, of course, but I think at that sort of, sort of that amateur or even semi-pro level, sometimes, you know, you, if you, if you, you get clubs that are interested and you obviously want to transition because you might not know where you're going to go now next what's next so you naturally just think it's a natural transition uh i think i think it's hard because like like you said yourself you know you've, you've probably got certain standards and then because of your workload you might not be able to keep up with those standards and then you're picking yourself or you're picking others and it makes it makes it a little bit um complex um and i think i think if you had if you had more resources it, it will help like mm-hmm. if you're a coach at a, at a club level and you had a couple of good assistants around you and things, then that can really maybe work. But what I've found, most of the guys who've done it have, haven't had much resources because they're trying to juggle a lot of balls in the air, you know, and sometimes it can be difficult. So good question here for you. Giving advice to those who are yep. about to enter it, who are going through it or are considering it, what what main bits of advice would you give to those who are in that player coach role uh, yep. to try and get the the most uh, the most out of the out of the experience? Yeah, I think I think 
first of all, I think, like you said, it's, I think it's very difficult if you're going to be head coach and player coach. I think assistant coach or like a leading an area of the game, I think absolutely is manageable. Um, I think you've just got to be really clear and aligned um, with with your coaching team or your management team. Um, what what the what the markers are, the standards are that the players need to meet because you you're a player, you need to meet those standards. Number one, um, number two, I think you need to be really clear to the players, just like you would in a any any coach. Um, you know, clarity on selection, clarity on how you want to play. Carry on core skills that you need, um, and then number three, I think you just need to be really consistent with the messaging, because I think that's that's pretty hard when you when you play a coach because there's a lot of emotion sometimes you get you get tied into the emotion a little bit, so you ride the highs and the lows, you know, and you might expect a certain standard that isn't being delivered, so you emotionally might show it because I've noticed players will show it a lot more than say a coach might show. Mm. Um, traditionally, that is <laughs> some coaches obviously very emotional when they they see things happening in games. Mm-hmm. But but I think if you can if you can manage that part, um, those are the three things I'd say you should you should try and get really nailed early, and then like anything, just be really consistent with those three things. You know, mm. yeah, good advice. And yeah, I often found that the hardest part was making in-game decisions you know you, you know when you're when you're fatigued when you're tired so that's the best thing i did was lean on other people and that's exactly what you were saying yeah. there. like let everyone understand what the situation is and like right and then clear roles and responsibilities like game day i needed to have the substitutions for example and the replacements and maybe a tactical change um i needed up i needed input from people on yep. the outside um so yeah just getting everyone aligned you know because there's a lot of people out there who are who are doing it right now but player yeah. controls not often often discussed but many of us in our coaching journey go yeah. go through it that's right yeah and, and and on that one thing that just jumped at me when you said that part is yeah the support like i think i think good good coaches work out firstly that they're a support mechanism to an outcome and those those players are trying to get there and you're just supporting them to get there. So I, th- I think sometimes as, as player coaches, you feel like you're, you're the, whether you like it or not, people might look at you as you're the holder of the decisions, holder of the power perhaps. Um, so I think I think just, and it's very difficult. That's why we said it's difficult because you're in game sometimes, you know, or at training and you're actually, you don't have the lens where you can take a step back and just watch everything because you're in the middle of actually running a play or, making a call or you know you get what i mean yeah no so, absolutely yeah so i think i think just trying to trying to just yeah remind yourself that um whether you're playing well or not you're still the support mechanism for every single player there and even for yourself so sometimes you just need to not be so hard on yourself as well around your performance yeah what what's interesting as well that that role often the player coach role is often defined by an experienced player inexperienced coach yeah. And that's a really unique situation to be in because a lot of people are looking at you because you've probably led really well and that's what's got you to and you've played very well and you've got yourself in a situation where you can play um, and, and lead the team. But also you're now coaching, but you're normally an inexperienced coach. It's not normally super experienced yeah. coaches because it normally comes with time in the saddle, right? And experiences. Yeah. But you're looking at those people in around their kind of early 30s, like who are coming to the end of their playing career. So yeah, it's such an interesting juxtaposition between between the two. Um, and then, so if we look at it from a an inexperienced coach point of view, what what has helped you um, kind of accelerate your own learning? I also know you're a you're an esteemed coach educator as well. So what yep. sort of advice do you? Do you give or talk about now on on the latest coach education courses or excelling uh, accelerating people's development in that area? Yeah, yeah, good, good, queer, good question, man. I think I think you got your stages, like you said, of coaching. So I think if you're relatively inexperienced, I would recommend, of course, getting into the system, so called, and reaching out to your local, whether it's a state or a national body, and going through the accreditations. Obviously, accreditations now are changing. As we know, Craig, it's more about who you coach, you know. Um, so that should match match an accreditation versus sort of being the li- linear journey of level one, level two, level three, yeah. level four. So now it's about what athlete do you coach and what skills do they need and what's the content resources that are going to help me provide that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's number one, um, especially as an inexperienced coach, um, because a lot of it, a lot of the literature sort of is around the how to coach, you know, like sort of the the processes, which which is something that you might lack. 
Um, and then, and then the, the other the other side to it is as you sort of move through, I think you've got to diversify your learning. You know, so I think um, you might have your formal stuff, but you, you obviously have a lot of opportunity now to to find resources online or watch webinars and and things like that. Obviously, you, you've I've seen that you've run some really good, really good stuff with some really high quality coaches. You know, so anyone who jumps on that sort of stuff, if they want information, it's it's, it's accessible. You know, and usually is is very low cost as well. So um, so I think diversify diversify your learning. I think as when you get get start doing that regularly, um, whether it's podcasts or watching someone or webinars or attending and watching watching coaches at your club or watching coaches at your school who are, who you find that are that are quite experienced and that you like their style, I think you'll still reach a ceiling. So what I mean is, I think that's where that's where the secret and and identifying a couple of really good guys or mentors or girls that you can mentors who you can really talk to I found that that for me really accelerated my my learning um because because mate like once you get to like you're, you're probably the same mate once you get to like a level four you know a master trainer and you, you do you're always going to keep learning but what I mean mm-hmm. is you need you need some point of difference and I think um I think that's where the mentors come in so the quality of the of the mentors you surround yourself with and the regularity of those conversations I think will help a lot um you know, I was really fortunate because obviously being in environments like the Reds or Rugby Australia, you know, I guess I could access a little bit more around certain certain coaches or who are pretty experienced guys, and they'd already been 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 there, done that, so they sort of knew what to what to advise you on. And a lot of sometimes it was tactical stuff, but most of the time it was more human, more just yep. managing people, mate. You know, and and trying to get the how do you, how do you sort of get the best out of or teaching? So it was usually either pedagogical stuff or um, Andragogical stuff, or or um, or, or more human 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 tips, because I think the group management stuff we underestimate when we come into leading teams that are thirty two to fifty people. You know, like it's um it's it's very challenging. So I think I think uh, uh, literature is very difficult to teach you that until you until you're doing it. So yeah, so the advice advice I give is is number one, the best learning is going to come from doing. So try coach as much as you can in different age groups, different formats, men, women, etc. If you get if you're lucky enough to get that opportunity, number one. Number two, um, really really be proactive in your learning. So go out, um, get on the podcast, get on webinars. Feel free to drop people messages. You'll be surprised at how many come back. And the third thing is absolutely tap tap a few two or three key people that you think might be worth having a one on one coffee or a Zoom or something with, and, and sort of picking their brain a lot more and, and trying to maintain that relationship because I think the best best um, mentors. I've got a couple of guys, mate, that I've been talking to for the last three, four years, no, longer, five years, that that um that we just we just catch up and it might not necessarily be a coach chat, it might just be you become you become friends. Yeah. Essentially, don't you? Yeah. Now really that what struck me there is when you mentioned around just just reaching out to people, you know, like yeah. we find in our environment that People are so accessible in our sport, which is is unbelievable. I've found that firsthand, like even just reaching out to you and reaching yeah. out to other coaches and just setting up calls and setting up chats and the things you learn. And obviously you're learning as well, but often as well, they're affirming things that you're doing. So it's like it's a, it's a nice confidence boost there. And if you are willing to keep going out there and and not every kind of coaching journey or learning journey is the same. So I I started coaching at 21. That's the best thing I ever did because, it, and I coached anything and everything in between. So yeah. from, from age grade performance stuff through to um, special needs rugby, to hearing yeah. impaired rugby, to adults, to men, to women. And it's just all that grounding. And I actually didn't, interestingly, I didn't finish my uh, bachelor's degree. I went over to Hong Kong, wanted to coach, and I, it was all about time in the saddle for me. Um, and I, I managed to get onto the the level three at the time in Australia was the highest one yep. um, a few years ago now. And then from that experience, what I built up, I was allowed to go straight onto a master's of performance. So this is like a big win cool. for me. Like I could go straight into a master's and something I wanted to do, uh, but I built up that knowledge. And then essentially what it did, I I could now underpin the theory to the practical which often it's done the other way around. We learn the theory first yep. and then yep. and then go into the practical, which I, I just thought was a really unique thing. It was nice looking at something and studying and going, ah, I've done that or yep. I didn't do yep. that or I can apply it immediately. So that was just a, 
uh, an interesting journey for me and like coaching is not always as you mentioned a linear a linear yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes around everywhere yeah that um yeah I like I like how you said that yeah you just you just threw yourself in and started started getting involved um and coaching multiple um levels and stuff and I, I found that was the best experience sometimes you know like some people like in Aussie anyway at times might say oh you're coaching everything and it's sort of like our dig but it's like a trade mate like if yeah. you want to get good trade or like my wife does my wife does teeth you know like so yeah um prosthetic stuff so for her to do that she's a practitioner so she needs to do a lot of repetitions and get experience from repetitions and know what molds and all that stuff it's the same with coaching you know like you you gotta you gotta learn from learn from doing um number one and i like i like the fact that same time you can transition the formal uh learning mm. you know education stuff straight into pitch grass um because um and I, and I think the good good providers of education now understand that really well that there is an absolute absolute link like there's no use running it through a course three months and your next training session is six months away or four yeah. months away or five months away it's it's best in the context you know i think the learning um so no that's good mate that's awesome so when so you moved um you went over to amsterdam player coach yep. in holland um yep. player coach and where where did the where did the journey keep going from there? Because you've been everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've been lucky enough to do that. Well, I was quite proactive in that as well, you know. Um, yeah, I ended up in Aussie up in North Queensland. So over in North Queensland, and this is where another real good coach experience happened. Not not so much the player coach role for the club that I was talking about that I landed in there, but more the, the work that I did as a development officer when I started at the Reds. And I think, again, a lot of guys um, might have gone through these DO development roles. And, again, you highlighted it before, like you literally are coaching the spectrum. Like you got a kid who can't catch a ball and evade anyone versus uh, a pathway player who's going to be the next rare wallaby, you know, like mm-hmm. literally you're, you're talking to both of them, you know. So that was really good experience because you just, again, mate, the main thing is you're just doing so many repetitions of coaching, you know, like in different levels. Um, and that that was probably where I really jumped. Um, and I think from that, from the time at the Reds, you know, I obviously got exposed to a lot of the world rugby curriculum as well. And I think um, when I first started my educator a long time ago, um, that that really gave me the ability to take one one more step back. You know, I was never really a um, uh, you know that old school sort of dictatorial blowing the whistle a hundred times type of coach. I was never really like that, you know, so I didn't have problems transitioning into a more uh, player-centered approach. I think I was reasonably player-centered, not always, but I mm-hmm. think so. Um, uh, but but that taught me a little bit more even to take one other big step back and really look at it from a, from a, from a, um, from a lens of, of, of the coach, you know, and, and, and what does the coach need and how can we help our coaches now um, develop their skills? Uh, and then obviously carried on, through there, I moved from um, North Queensland, did did some of the regional um, teams, so I coached regional country rugby and did some of the like North Queensland men's and Mackay and stuff, and then moved down to Brisbane, mate. And Brisbane, obviously, in Aussie. I don't know if the listeners know, and I don't know how many um, are aware, but but you're two big hubs, or there's there's more hubs. I'll be I'll be careful what I say, but but the two <laughs> two big hubs of, <laughs> yeah. of rugby. Um, Providers for the national team of Queensland, New South Wales, mate, and Brisbane and Sydney in particular. So, so they're that there where where your talent, most of your supply lines coming. Obviously, country kids and regional kids are moving into these teams. They call them premier teams, and then from that, obviously, you're one step away from a academy or a, or a Super Rugby side. You know, so um, so yeah, I was I was quite fortunate that I got involved again with with uh, coaching in the Queensland Premier Competition and then at club level, and then also very fortunate that. Did some work with the Reds throughout a lot of their pathway teams and and things like that, mate. So it gave me really good exposure, you know. Did you good. ever have any cross pollination with league um, at all, like coaching um, wise or playing? Yeah, no, more more coaching. I, I'm more interested to to do they do similar things to Union in terms of their coach development programs? Um, yeah, just I would I would love to learn more. Yeah, about I, it. I I didn't myself. I I didn't as, at all. Um, I would have loved to have seen that. Like, absolutely. I think, I think because it's so competitive, mate, for talent in particular. And you could say eyeballs and you could say participants too, but realistically, like AFL and league, I'm very far ahead, you know, in the Aussie landscape, you know, in contact sport. And that's just because of 
because of money and and a lot of lot of things. I, I don't want to get into that. It's, it's a big big conversation we could have on that. But but in terms of the the education side and and coach development and talent development, I would have loved to have seen a lot more collaboration. I know it happens a little bit more, and Sport Australia is quite proactive in running conferences and and things now. And example, I've been to when I was an Aussie, I went to two conferences. The first one, like some of those sports were not present. Um, I don't know what for. They might have been busy or might not have thought there was a need to go and collaborate. I don't know. The year after, they were they were there. So that already started discussion around management of of people to stay in the game, but also how do you take that and harness talent and what is what does the young person need, you know, to 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 continue their journey. Um but but I th- I think that's one area, mate, that that um League and Union in particular can do really well because remember all the players play both and I see yeah. like most of the kids are playing both just on different days and then it comes to a time where one school might be prioritizing one over the other then you sort of have to pick but then post school even unless you're really on a pathway you don't really you can probably still juggle both you know if you if yeah. you really had to so coaches should be aware of that and coaches should I think I think collaborate more. Uh, obviously, at the professional level, mate, you get a lot of crossover of league coaches going to rugby and union coaches going over. But um, but yeah, from that one level back, I'd love to see a little bit more collaboration. Yeah, yes, we can learn so much more from from other sports, and and likewise, mm-hmm. other sports can learn from rugby as well. I think we're doing a a lot of things right in our environment. Um, yeah, I'll be interested to know. Like, obviously, coaching, we're always looking to to put our best forward um all the time but there's there's times when we kind of look back and go oh that that probably didn't go as I wanted to or it wasn't how I envisaged it have you had any experience in there where your coaching hasn't necessarily um come across how how you wanted to in any way shape or form yeah yeah of course mate absolutely you know I think um I think I think over time, you know, like sometimes um, at the start of your journey, you know, you're very um, you're very convinced around the path, you know. But but as we get more experience, we know that that path will change multiple times, especially in the season, you know. And uh, and it's how you adapt. That's that's literally the key. It's a bit like mm-hmm. your players. The best teams usually have the best ability to adapt. Same as the coaching group, you know. And I guess for me, early early days, it was very much sort of tunnel vision towards championships and towards finals. And this is how we're going to get there, and you guys need to meet the standard. Versus, um, especially in the player coach days, <laughs> um, which is not good. But but now it's more about hey, look, what 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 do we want to what do we see as winning? Like let's define winning, and it doesn't have to be a championship. It could be the process, you know. It could be certain measures throughout the season. It could be human human things, and then along that journey. Um, we may find that we, we've just built a culture of success and performance, so it's gonna. You're probably going to be on a good path. So that that was one big difference around that. Um, and and I think early early days, mate. I think yeah, again, just being far too far too technical, tactical driven. You know, especially tactical. Um, but you you can only build tactics around the team you got. Number one, the skill sets they have, and the desire to do those skill sets and work ethic. You know, so if you if you haven't got a group that's gonna you know, if you're dealing with amateur guys who are only going to train twice, twice a week, play on a Saturday, have a beer, or ten <laughs> after <laughs> games, and that's enjoyment. That's what good looks like. Then you just got to accept that and take it on the chin. You're not going to change that. So I think early days, I yeah, probably fought the battle a bit too much around that. Thought everyone was a professional <laughs> when, when clearly 99% of people at play rugby are not. You know, so professional um, drinker, probably. Yeah, 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 mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that was probably a bit of my own expectation because in my head I'm going, well, I I I, I, I would be, I would do that. I would do those extras, or I'd get there early, and so you guys should be able to do that too. But that's that's not how it works. So I think I think you're just managing expectations in your brain as a coach early days. Really, really important. That that's so interesting because often new into coaching, or, or I've got to be very mindful now. Like you have to be aware of your own biases. You absolutely because you that's if you don't have a lot of coaching experience behind you, that's what you're going to go to. You know, you hear the story all the time of yeah. uh, the dad or the mom coaching the drills that because they were they were running them. 10 15 20 years ago you know like and it was like okay that's just regurgitate or um but your biases are so critical um and there's nothing wrong with having them it's just understanding yeah. them what they are 
and do they align with the environment you're you're trying to do so tell me maybe a, a bit of is there any stories around some of the conflicts that you you came across when you were like yep. right we are gonna get there early we're gonna train more or whatever those yep. were and and then how yep. you overcame them uh with with the playing group yeah well maybe i maybe i didn't i don't know if i did overcome them you know in, in one of the seasons i guess it was just around um you know setting setting i guess physical standards around conditioning um which you and me both know a lot of amateur players will shy away from <laughs> uh, unless they're really really self-driven um guys so number one you take them from zero to 100 is probably a little bit unre- unrealistic so i probably could have managed that better um but yeah, just 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 expectations of conditioning, expectations around commitment. Um, you know, that team in particular, no one was professional, so everyone had a job. So people might come late or might not be able to come because they've had to do extra time and sort of being a little bit um uneasy about that, that it was happening far too often, you know. But it's the nature of the beast, mate. Like they're not paid guys, so you gotta expect that, you know. And and I guess rather than adapting more, just sticking sticking to the to the to the to the to the standard, you know that was set. Um, so I guess I guess the learning is you, you you eventually find that although you're player centered, you might you might you might not um, be putting on sessions that everyone's enjoying because it's maybe far too serious or far too um, tactically driven, you know, versus mm-hmm. more focusing on connections with that team. It was not only talking about that one team. Um, but then, um, yeah, and I, and I guess, I mean, we, we still did reasonably well, like we made finals and stuff, but we didn't get to where we wanted to. We didn't win or anything, like we didn't win the main thing. So the point is, um, I guess it was a bit, bit of disappointment for me, but that's because I was a very young, novice, inexperienced player coach, you know. Um, so looking back, would I say that team was success? Maybe, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, we would have to ask, ask the players more, but... I guess from a if you look at it from a results perspective, I did reasonably well. Produced some players who played in the representative, quite a few players who played in the representative team, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe, but um, probably from an enjoyment, did they really enjoy that season versus other seasons? Uh, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I don't think so. So, yeah, I guess the takeaway is, yeah, you got to you got to know what environment you're work, working into. And you got to figure that out sometimes pretty quick, especially if you're flying in, like you've been flowing into. Mm-hmm. You're not from that town. You've never grown mm-hmm. up there. I don't know the culture there. I don't know what normal is. So you've got to really adjust quickly, and it'll take time. Like you've got to figure that out. So maybe not going so hard at the start, you know, and just sort of figuring your way through it um, would have been would have been a better better approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you can do that in seasons, Craig, because you've got you got time. Um, but but obviously in campaigns you, you can't do that. Campaigns are short. You've got to hit the ground running a little bit, you know. So if it's a rep representative team or even national team and stuff, mate. They they only have little block blocks of training, you know. But if you've got a season where you've got a preseason, you got the you know preseason games, you got round one, round two, finals, grand finals, off season, you know, like I said, you got you have a little bit of leeway. So I think you got to know you're coaching a team that's in a season, you're coaching a team in a campaign, you know, work that out and then go from there. Yeah, and figuring out their motivations, right? Because yeah, you could yeah. you could argue this is not always the case, but you could argue that the teams who are on a representative side are maybe a little bit more hungry for the tactical side. Maybe they are trying to get, and this is all this is kind of all kind of generic. And maybe your your club rugby team there's going to be those those characters in there who who just want to play Tuesday Thursday and a weekend warrior. And there's there's nothing yeah. wrong with that at all. And it's all about as a coach yeah. understanding because. It all compounds, right? For example, when you you come in, you want to be these fitness standards and these times and this, and they're like, well, I'm there on a Tuesday night. The weather's probably a bit miserable. I had a hard day at work. Am I going to go to training to get flogged? Um, yeah. Because that's not my motivation. Or am I just going to stay at home for now and then maybe rock up on a Saturday because they might need me for numbers? Yeah, It's so funny because they know you need them. <laughs> you know, like, mate, how many times of coaches, I spoke to coaches as well, and I've been there as well going, if you don't train, you ain't getting picked. And then all of yeah. a sudden you've got yeah. eight people on your sheet. You're like, oh, yeah. shit, I, yeah. I, better, yeah. I, better, I better come, I better meet them halfway, you know. So yeah. it's all about just initially going in and, and really just figuring out like yeah. and, and there's a beautiful question what do you want to achieve 
Yes. Right? yes. Water, and then yeah, and then you can start to a lot. Maybe you can bring some performance standards. Yeah. Yeah. You might be able to do it a slightly more delicate way. Yeah, and, and that's 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 um, whether it's that team or or the last team that I coached or whoever. Like, there's obviously a big gap in so-called performance, but um, and and quality of talent. You could argue, but the thing is that absolutely, as a coach, mate, you've got to just remember you're the support to them getting to where they want to go, and the ability to establish that early on. Where do you want to go? Okay, what's acceptable? What's not? How do you want to go there, guys? Tell us. Let's discuss. Mm-hmm. challenge them on a couple of things in a healthy way. Uh, maybe they're being too unrealistic. You've got to also call that out. Maybe mm-hmm. they're being too un- under, under, under setting their targets. So you just got to, you got to, if you just do that, I think early days with the whole teams, so the management and players, I think that can really, really nail a lot of the oncoming challenges. You're going to have to manage, of course, everything throughout the season, but I think establishing and going back to clarity, I think that'll really help everyone keep a little bit more aligned because you're always going to get disaligned at times throughout the season. And then it comes back to if you've, if you've asked them the question and they've, they've put their name to it, as they say, yep. like, it becomes a lot easier. We like, like, like fellas or girls, this is, this is yep. what we yep. stand for. And then, and then the art of the coaching is in the subtlety, right? How do you slowly yep. get them to change their behaviors, which they never thought they yep. could, they, they might not even figured they wanted to do, you know, but how do you go, Oh, if we just nudge it here, you just turn the temperature up a little bit. But yes, it yeah. all comes with understanding where the alignment is. Um, and I think that's such yeah. a, a powerful thing. Now, when you were going through this, mm-hmm. did you only know upon reflection, or did you know at the time going, ah, oh, yikes, this isn't this isn't going where I wanted to do? Or did it take time to to figure that out or process? I think I think um I think when you're winning, like we won most of our games that year, but was the performance up to the standard that maybe, like maybe I thought, probably not. So I think when you're winning, mate, things are easy. You know, like um, you can you can sort of sweep things away a little bit, like because you're winning. It's a little bit recently, like with, with Georgia recently. You know, we won a lot of lot of test matches. You know, and and everything's all good and rosy. You know, but but then we know that success of unions is the ability to succession plan and future proof. You know, and when when you have those tougher games and when you lose, you know, how do you bounce the next one so you don't lose two on the trot? Like that's that's really important. So I think I think for for me at that time, um I sort of felt it probably that this wasn't um going where I'd probably expect it expected or wanted to, you know. And and again that was again very coach centered I think a little bit to think that way. Um because I probably didn't do the stuff we just talked about before, you know. Um but and then, and then, obviously, post post season, you know, like you, you know, you know, if you've, um, yeah, you know that if you haven't haven't made a, you might have improved, guys, absolutely. Like there was guys who probably played some of their best rugby, but did they really enjoy themselves? I, I don't know, you know. Um, and it was probably more driven by driven by me, you know, not not necessarily driven by them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Did you enjoy yourself? I did. I did. Um, but uh, towards the end, probably not. Um, I think um I think because of because of what we just spoke about, um you probably you probably um and that, that wasn't a good thing because I think I think the players could sense that. And as soon as I think playing group senses the the captain of the ship, so called is a bit sort of, you know, you might not be showing it as much, but you can tell when someone's having a good time or when they're when they're really not, you know, and uh, it was different because I was paid, you know, so it's not like a voluntary role. So yeah, you, you obviously have to be there and, and you want to be there, but you play, play, I think you've got to be good at hiding emotion <laughs> is the right way I'd say it. Uh, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good, but I think I can, um, I can be pretty, uh, I think you can know if, if, if at that time, and I've changed a lot, but I think you'd know if, if I thought we're, we're, we're up to standard or not, you know? And um, yeah, I guess, I guess looking back, um, yeah, it definitely wasn't, I think my expectations were far too far too high for the group that I had. You know, I expected them to be rock stars when they were never going to be. You know, and I wasn't a rock star coach, by the way. So you, you get what I mean. So you just got to get that part right. <laughs> oh, so interesting. So when after that, where did you where did you move on from there? Where did you where did you get? To? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because because I was with the Reds, uh, I still continued obviously doing uh, a lot of the development development work there but then coaching wise I was obviously uh, I, I guess um 
because it, it was sort of work ethic and your, and your drive to coach and levels and all that stuff. I coached the representative team, you know, the men's team, sevens and stuff. So I sort of did the representative for the whole region. Mm-hmm. So you sort of move move up, move up, so-called. But most guys would do both. I did both, like at a club and that, you know. Um, but then I just stopped the club. So I just stopped with the club and just did the rep um, stuff. So, um, yeah, that that uh, was, again, even rep, rep standard, you know, like you said before, you probably got a player who's a little bit more driven, mm-hmm. a little bit more motivated for success, um, might might want to be identified for another team or something, you know, so maybe that was a better fit. Maybe that was a better like for like at the time. But one thing I've I've learned, like I said in the in the podcast, is um, yeah, the role isn't about necessarily always the fit. It's about well, how can you support them to get to where they want to go, you know? And I think that's where if you really realise that more often, I think that's that's better than always going. Because me as a coach, I was pretty driven. I think as a player, so I probably wanted to just get like for like teams, you know, like straight away in coaching. Yeah. And it doesn't didn't happen like that, mate, you know, and, and you got to manage your expectations along. If you do ever get there and you're lucky enough to get there, then you, you got to realise that, mate, it's um it's a journey, you know, and it's not about you're not better than anyone and no one's better than you. And it's just about process and supporting people to get to where they want to go. Sweet. So maybe uh, next time, if you went back to that club team, you would start the first session, pre-season session, with a crate of beer in the middle of the yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. middle of the field, and go right, boys, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, but, that's the old school Aussie way, mate. I think is they'll uh, get a box and get into the sheds and they'll sort it out. But I think you got to do a little bit more than that. Obviously, you and me know <laughs> you got to, you know, you got to probably, um, yeah, you got to probably ask the right questions and figure out the motivations of people in the group, you know, and. I think I think that team probably had far too many of those sessions, to be honest. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's know, the so, thing. It's all yeah. about you don't have to like when you're looking at a player group, you don't have to be best mates with all of them mm. or with any of them, but you just mm. need to have mm. a very mutual, respectful coach player relationship and or even just human relationship outside <laughs> of coach player, I think, first and foremost. And and that's where you can start to build that alignment because then you can yep. ask key questions. What are your motivations? What are you trying to on an individual level? And then they they might marry up with the the team level. And then at the end of the day, at least you can coach that one individual like to the best of their ability or what they're trying to achieve. Yep. And if you do that thirty five times with other people, it's bloody hard. But if you yep. can get that alignment, and also they know where you're coming from. And that's really, really powerful as tool. Like if they, yeah. if you've got vulnerability about, okay, well, this isn't going as I thought it might go, and like, help me, you know. Like it's amazing yeah, yeah. when when you ask for help, how often people do help you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, and that includes, um, yeah, the the other staff or, or the playing group. Sometimes the people you trust, and yeah, just building connection first, you know, connection first, and then technical tactical second you know that whole character over cover drive um culture is strategy for breakfast that type of stuff i think just yeah connect connect first and then um and that's been my approach here in georgia by the way like it's very much around coming in and building relationships with with the locals and the local staff first and that took a little bit of time last year and then um then you can start to push and pull a little bit in terms of the strategy and what their role is in that strategy and giving them you know room to you know, move up and down and learn and fail and 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 support them through that. So that, that's definitely been a big shift connection first, yeah. So moving on to Georgia, um, this is from the outside looking in, so I would love to know if I, yep. correct me if I'm wrong. It sometimes feels fairly transient with people, head coaches, for example, coming and going. And how, how does it work with um, foreigners coming into a Georgian environment um particularly if they've the locals have seen it all before and at what point does so uh, yeah mainly i'm just asking how how do you go in knowing you're not from georgia to establish yourself in that environment but but also saying i'm here to help yeah yeah for sure i think i think this is a real good real again it's a bit like that player coach you could do a podcast just on foreign guys who go over to coaching countries where the language is in English and and I think um yeah this is this is a real real good topic mate I think um I think first of all the the beauty of Georgia in general is 
they treat foreigners sort of like a gift from God. They call it, it sounds a bit cheesy, but they sort of do really go out of their way to make you feel like I'm here with my wife and two kids. So they really do try to go out and make you feel like uh, at home and make it at ease. Um, and I've, I've been really fortunate because I've had a few key people who are always basically around me who are really good English speakers, really young, competent, um, and, and, and hungry for knowledge and hungry for conversation uh, about the game and about about how to do things. So that's been really useful. I think without that, it'd be, it'd be tough. Um, so language, so having language support, number one, really, really important. Uh, I think I think the whole um, foreign staff, like I've, I'm probably the only, just thinking in my head, there's one osteo who's been here for eight years who's lived here, but I'm the only other, I'm pretty sure, foreigner who lives here. The last head coach, obviously, um, who's a Kiwi, who stayed here with his family as well, and he stayed here for like eight years as well, but there isn't that many that come. Most of them are um, coming and going. Okay. So they'll come for blocks, especially if they're with one of the teams. So mm-hmm. national team usually is the only one that'll have foreign staff. The rest are Georgian, okay. uh, which, is, which is a good thing, I think. Um, and um, so they'll come for periods of time. They'll stay at one of our rugby bases or a hotel or something and then go back. So that's a different experience to someone who actually is embedded day-to-day, conversation down the road, you know, getting groceries, coffee shop, coming home, getting in taxis and stuff is, is a very different experience. Um, I think unions, unions overall, um, when, when you are that guy or you've been in jobs like that, like, um, yeah, I think, I think there's always, you gotta, you gotta really, like I said, build, build relationships. They're also interested in you and your story, you know, so just like you are and them because you're keen to, uh, assimilate with culture, with language, you know, I think going out of your way to learn the language, I think will help. Like I've, I've learned a little bit I can learn probably more, but I think I'm reasonably okay. Um and and, oh, I, and it helps. Go on, man. Give us give us some. Oh mate, oh mate, you put me on the spot here, mate. You put me on. <laughs> I could say uh I could say Galmajus Craig Rogurka, which means like uh Hey Craig, how are you, mate? You know, like sort of thing. Um but uh, I probably that that probably sounded terrible. I hope no Georgians are listening, but um but yeah that's gonna be um, that's gonna be the podcast title for my Georgian uh <laughs> my Georgian fans. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a cool language, mate. It's a cool language. I, I really, because I, I like my history, Craig, you know, just personally, I really into history, culture, and, and this country's got tons of it, mate. Like, it's got an ancient civilization, only language that's spoken in this country and nowhere else, own own alphabet, um, things like that. It's very, very cool. Yeah. So it's quite interesting for me, you know, just being here. Um, but, yeah, I think I think you got to be aware of things like, you know, perception of the foreign guy, What what's he, how long is he here for, where's he going next, or does he genuinely want to make a difference? Um, but sometimes some people use opportunities like this as a stepping stone, you know, to, to somewhere else. Uh, it's quite common. Like a lot of guys that have come in here have gone on to other, other quite, quite good things, so-called, and teams and national bodies. But I guess me coming from Australia sort of probably is a bit different, you know, like you're sort of going from tier one to tier two and then you get what I mean. So there's, there's yeah. I think there's awareness of that. And, um, and your role is very much embedded in, in more – yeah the community as well as performance right like if yes yeah it's, it's very or... it's more strategical yeah. yeah it's definitely more strategical so i guess my my stuff uh, i was doing some stuff for that we got an agm coming up i was just noting down some of the things we've done in the past year and a bit it's it's really sometimes you forget that you're that you're making difference with your staff you know because you're in the grind all the time and and, and obviously georgians are very passionate about their rugby so if you don't do very well at a World Cup, you know you feel it day to day. If that makes sense, um, but then um, but then you look at all the things that we're actually doing really well. Like there's some real good stuff, like real good wins that are around now. Like, not just I'm taking on field, I'm talking off field wins and performance and building capability and people and you know and and, and building more structures and building more um, uh, habits slowly. Um, you know we've still got a long way to go, I think, to to catch up to the tier one, but I think we're on the right path. And I think you'll see, like I said, 27 World Cup, 2031, I think that that's when you probably start seeing a lot more of the results that you probably set up here, you know, that, that are coming through, hopefully. Um, so what makes you what makes you feel and, and live that on a daily basis? What what are you seeing on the ground, which is yep. leading to those uh, predictions? What essentially we all want to happen? We all want we all want Georgia. We all want Portugal to continue on their way. We all yep. want Romania and Tonga. And so like we all want 
more um maybe maybe the big wigs outside of the six nations don't but we 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 certainly do um so what what gives you that feeling that uh georgian rugby is is going to be a a force to to be reckoned with yeah yeah i think just looking at our um I think I think honestly, like our, staff, our overall staff quality needs to needs to massively improve, and then I guess part of my role is to try to help do that, and that's just being brutally honest. I think we're still a little bit away from um, a tier, tier one sort of level, but that's not a rugby thing. I think it's a country thing, Craig. I think there's a lot of country and societal challenges with the whole past and Soviet and and all that stuff that that are around, and it is it is true. Um, don't get me wrong; we've got some really sharp sharp Georgian staff, but there's not, there's just not enough of them. There, there needs to be more and we need to build more and create more, you know, and we need to give them exposure to a lot more experiences. I, I guess we're working hard on that. You know, we've, we've, we've um, created a lot more connections with countries, especially in the UK that we've got staff now going and learning and doing and coming back and, and, um, and things like that. Uh, we're also supporting a lot of our staff with a lot more um, CPD and, and all that sort of stuff. We're pairing them a lot up a lot more, and this is something they do really well. Where certain age groups will pair up with the above age group and the above, and there's a lot of trickle down. So there's a lot of right. alignment, um, but also a lot of sharing of knowledge. Um, but but yeah, we need to we need to build more depth so that we can challenge. Like more Georgians should be able to challenge Georgians for jobs. It shouldn't just be foreigners coming in and being far too far ahead. You get what I mean? It should be yeah. actually George challenge Georgians for the jobs. I think that's when you'll really get staff success. Uh, but from a player's player's perspective, I think it's very healthy, Greg. I think um, I think you only have to look at our results and our age groups. And I think most most people who follow the age groups would know that we're pretty. Yeah. There's no real tier two, tier one age groups for tier one, mate. That's um, yeah, we, yeah. We win win a lot of the games we play. You know, World Cup they finished eighth and missed out on a semi by points difference. You know, and, and pretty unlucky not to get a semi and. And then admittedly, we didn't win the last two games. You finished eighth, but eighth is still the highest. They finished at the a 20s World Cup. And 18s have, I don't know, been unbeaten in Europe for I don't know how many years. Um, next year will be interesting because next year we'll be in the Six Nations festivals for under 18s. So that'll be good. So that's a return. Yeah, right. used to be in it quite a few years ago. And and that'll, again, give our guys at that 18-year-old the right, right like-for-like game, you know, yeah. um, which is what they need. Um, and our sevens, you know, our sevens are on the Challenger series, you know, uh, upcoming, which is first for for a while. We could probably do a lot better if we put put a few more things into that program. But for now, it's 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 still delivering on what we'd like. Um, and we, we're trying to sort of part of my challenge, I guess, is trying to embed sevens into the pathway so it supports fifteens. It's not a standalone, yeah. So much that we're actually trying to produce more quality players and staff through that sevens program. Yeah, we're never we're never going to be rock stars, and like we're not we're not trying to be. HSBC series winners and stuff. We want to get to an Olympics, absolutely. Georgia yep. wants to get to the Sevens Olympics and we want to be producing again professional players. That that's the outcome for the Sevens model for us. And and exposing uh, coaches to performance environments yes, on a regular yeah. basis. Uh, right? yeah, hundred percent and, and habits and yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. you take away the X's and O's of it, which there is slight slight differences, but in terms of the as you said, the experience, the pedagogy, the yeah. The traveling, the learning how to travel, the learning for player performance, coach development, yeah, yeah all it all aligns nicely. I actually remember I was coaching um Hong Kong. I used to work with Hong Kong, who had brilliant, brilliant resources. They just didn't have the yeah. the player base like at all, um, or the size. But the, in yeah. terms of the the infrastructure was gold. And we used to regularly and we still do, uh, or the union still does play in the world trophy. And we used to play Georgia and used to get we used to get flogged. But my point is. Georgia are not even near the World Trophy now. They're regulars in oh, the yeah. 20s World Cup. Like that, that just shows yeah. you the, yeah. the growth. And that was what, probably yeah. 10 years ago, I was just coaching in that, in that environment. And now the step up, once they got there, Georgia stayed there. And then that's the future crop yeah. coming through. These Those guys actually yeah, now are probably in the national team now. Um, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And I think I think that's where Georgia's big challenges in the country, you know, like um, – I think our youth, youth and and twenties and, and those other programs are going to continue to do well, but because because obviously a world junior world cups every year, you know, so it's good you get to play the best teams every year. Whereas our national team, as you know, like we're quite restricted around who we get to play often, and that's that's important, mate. And I think that's the beauty of what EPCR is doing for a country like Georgia. You know, like as you see two 
regardless of what teams are on the park, they're professional teams, like an English team who's got hundreds of years of history, high quality players have produced multiple England England internationals, you know, and, and you're playing them, you're playing Wales, Wales teams are doing the same and you're, and you're playing them regularly at the franchise level and you're, and you're beating them. It shows that um, it shows that you deserve to be there, and and it's not even about deserving to be there. It's actually about just someone opening a door for you to, you know, allow you to do that. You know, so mm. I think there's um, there's obviously pros and cons to this new model that where rugby wants to go down from 20, 2026 around the top twelve and the and the and the, the two tier pros and cons. I think um, yeah, I think I think if they could just make a primary relegation earlier, it it'd suit. Suit Georgia mm. rather than 2031, but um, but yeah, I think I think I think you can you can't really control the test match competitions you're going to get, but if you can continue to open the door for the franchise team, I think you'll find when those yeah. competitive test matches come up, you're much more prepared, and we might get a few more uh, scalps, you know, in that in that tier one in the coming yeah. years as well. Particularly because you got your, I think you mentioned earlier, sixty percent players playing day yeah. in day out there. And then your yep. your bigger stars go out and get their knowledge in the in the yep. wider European game, and then come back. Much like um, is it Haguares or Jaguares used to do yeah. in Super Rugby? Uh, uh, or, RGs, yeah, yeah, they used to do similar, right? They used to come back and yeah, but most of their team played in that team, you know, and it made up the bulk. Yeah, of and, the, that, and that's a, that's a good top, top talk as well, Craig. Is that um, RGs are a bit of a unique entity in that, like they still got their best players over in. You know, France in particular and some in Italy and stuff and they're unique whereas you've seen teams like Georgia, Fiji, etc. really accelerate their test match rugby through having a franchise, you know. So it's yep. it's interesting how different teams can do it. And and one of the things we're doing more now, which which we're really trying to drive more and push a lot more is getting our young guys to get environments that aren't just France. Mm-hmm. Because that's traditionally been the pathway for Georgian players, the under mm-hmm. 18s, under 20s, France national team, whatever. Um, we're trying to, like example, we've got a few boys over in the UK right now. Um, you know, getting different coaching, it's different opposition, different style of play, different weather conditions, um, different resources. And you, you obviously come from the UK. You'll know how some of those schools are very much. Yeah, uh, I hate to say it, but rugby schools, you know, rugby's everything sort of thing, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and they create good. Good, good environments to produce good young men. So, um, yeah, we're trying to get Georgians exposed to that. So we've got a few boys over there now and we'll probably be sending a few more. Um, there's a lot of demand as well, as you can imagine, from schools. Um, so we want to we want to just give them exposure to different different environments, different coaches, different eyes, things like that. What, what I notice about when Georgia play, everyone regularly talks about the scrum, formidable scrum. They can ball as well, you know. Like there's there's some very very skilled yeah. players in the Georgian setup, and very quick, very athletic, tough, but they're they're skillful. Um, it's not just built on yeah. a big scrum, which is a foundation of any successful team, but there is there is people who can really really play rugby there. So in the right consistent environment, yeah. you can see where it's going to go. Yep, yeah. no, definitely, definitely, mate, definitely. All right, just to wrap up, I normally ask a few questions around yeah. um, where where do you get your continued learning from? Is there any places you particularly look in books, in podcasts, yeah. or wherever people can go out and explore? Yeah, I um, I uh, I definitely am a podcast guy. Like I think um, whether I'm w- walking to work, um, in the gym, um, I, I jump on a podcast. Usually, it's one of the ones around leadership or, um, you know, your high performance podcasts and things like that, or, or person personalities. Like I know, I know, um, you know, obviously guys like yourself and there's quite a few others that are, um, doing some good podcasts with, with, with coaches who've gone on different journeys. I like listening to their stories. Um, and then, and then recently my wife's gotten me into some podcasts that are just not rugby related. Like, um, like just because we're from in, in originally NZ or I was born in Fiji in New Zealand, so most of the like um, celebrities or whatever in New Zealand, like everyone's doing podcasts now. So it's interesting to hear some of the stories of mm. of, of of Kiwi Kiwi uh, Kiwi uh, people that you that you when you're young you're watching and where they are now, you know that stuff like that. Right. Um, but podcasts definitely. Um, I guess from a technical tactical, I haven't been involved as much as I'd like recently, and and I'm aware of that as well. Like I, I do miss getting on the grass um, a lot, but I guess when you're running. When you're running CPD and you're running professional development for staff, you're involved, you're hands-on, you know, you have to sometimes show. And so I, I, I'm still 
getting that fixed a little bit. I'd mm-hmm. obviously love a team, you know, an actual, just the team, but yeah. it's the nature of the beast in the position where I'm at now, you know, you don't want to overstep the mark. Um, and then, and then I guess the mental, mental part's probably the biggest learning, mate. Like the, that, that's, that's, that's the biggest advice I'd give is, is if you can access, it doesn't have to be your favorite coach, by the way, it can yeah. just be someone who can, like you said, soundboard, soundboard off and critique you or challenge you in a good way. Um, and then, and then you can ask a question that they might've had experience on and you don't have to use that information, but you can, sometimes you'll find there's a lot of gold in those chats, you know? Um, that that's probably the biggest biggest area I reckon of of um ability to believe to grow, mate. Right, hey Rama, this has been massively interesting. I've really enjoyed this one. Just interesting and just <laughs> the different journey you've taken from Dubai to the Netherlands to Oz to yeah. um to Georgia and everywhere in between is is really cool. And it I think that allows you to have so much insight in different parts of the game. So yeah, I want to say a massive thank you, mate. Really appreciate it and um. Definitely going to be keeping an eye, uh, an eye out on Georgia about a little bit more now, mate. So thanks for that. Yeah, thanks, thanks heaps, Craig. It's been good to good to jump on, mate. It's actually really cool, you know, because I, I know I watch some of your um, clips and stuff online, your detailed analysis. It's always really insightful, and I think a great tool for coaches to learn uh, as well. And, and um, yeah, mate, no, I think I think, um, I think people like yourself are doing really good things for the sport. So um, yeah, it's been a privilege, mate. Thank you.